We invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Zechariah, chapter number 4. Zechariah, chapter number 4. For those who might be listening outside of these walls, you're listening to the services of the Broomfield Baptist Church. And this is the pastor bringing a Sunday morning message entitled, The Lord Empowers by His Spirit. The Lord Empowers by His Spirit. You found your place in Zechariah, chapter number 4. The Bible recording in verse number 1. Read carefully with me. The angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. Verse 3 says, And two olive trees, trees by it. One upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? The angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord, that's Jehovah, all caps, the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, that thou shalt become a plain? And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Lord, I pray that you will help our time as we study your word together. May I be an encouragement to the flock of God that is among me today. Lord, I thank you for the privilege to feed the flock. But ultimately, our meat must come from you. And I pray that you would give us meat to eat that we know not of yet. That, Lord, we would be able to see your eternal purposes through what you, you would reveal to us in your word. Encourage us in the labors at hand. And may we, be, uh, may we be energized to focus on what you've called us to do. And Lord, I pray that you would help these words today to be powerful in our heart and life, to mold us and conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, our precious Savior, your beloved Son. And I pray that you will help us to grow. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. We live in a day and time in which it seems very difficult for anybody to focus on anything for any length of period of time. Um, much of that has been uh, conditioned for us, I, I think. That's my personal opinion. Because uh, just uh, look at, at uh, television, for instance, uh, commercials, those things. It seems like everything has timed to where it moves rapidly. And, and the images that come before us and the things that that we encounter even just in a maybe a two-hour program of watching your favorite TV show or whatever. There's, it's getting harder and harder to find good favorite TV shows anymore. I'm going back to the old black and white stuff most of the time. But, um, uh, you know, you sit and you, you watch uh, certain minutes of the program and then they kick on the commercials and they're always louder, right? I mean, is that, maybe it's just my, is it just my TV? No. Okay, all right. They turn those commercials up. Why? Because they're marketing to you and they want to sell you a bunch of stuff. 
And uh, those commercials, they move rapidly. They've got to get your attention. They've got to keep your attention. They've got to tell you you need whatever it is they're trying to sell to you. They've got to do all this in 30 seconds. And then another 30 seconds comes and goes, and then you have another presentation. And everyone's trying to outdo the other one. And it's this big competition, and we wonder why we have so much ADHD going around. Oh, 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 over here. Oh, I need that. Oh, okay, I'm having a little fun with that. But I, I, granted, there are, there are children who struggle. We understand that. We want to try to help them. And I don't mean that in any way. I'm just saying, our society is not making it any easier, is it? So we want to help. We want to, we want to be a blessing. If we can stop long enough to listen to the Lord, we can hear what He would say to us. And we have a, a very much an Athenian spirit among our society today. You need to know what I mean by that. I mean a spirit of novelty. Everything must be new all the time. It has to be fresh. It has to... It has to, to get our brain going on things, and we live on, on these chemical reactions, constantly going from one to the other. And I'll tell you, it's good for me sometimes, being where we are here in Colorado, to just unplug everything, to go out here in creation in God's classroom, and to turn the schedules off, and turn the calendars off, and turn the, the cell phones off, and just get alone, and take a breath. And to reconnect and make sure that I'm staying on target on where God wants me to be. It's far too easy to become transient in everything that we do. Whether it's family or work, school, health, resolutions, anything that we might put our hand to, we can become transient. We cannot allow this kind of mindset to continue, especially in the work of the Lord, because we work for eternal purposes. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says, he changeth not. He's the father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There are some things that are constant, even in a world of fluctuation. Our God is constant, and he is our rock. And so we, I want to encourage you today, stay faithful. You've been laboring for the Lord. You've been doing all you can to live for God. Don't give up. Stay faithful. Don't get distracted. Don't let the devil pull you away. You just know God will reward at his time. How are you going to do that? I think our passage here will help us uh, a little bit to know how to apply these words to our lives where we live. The same way that Zerubbabel will be challenged, many of the same challenges we will face. Can we stay focused on the light that God gives us? Or will we be distracted from it? Over here, over there. Can you stay focused on the light, the revelation? The Word of God, can you keep that your primary focus? Focus on His light. Focus on the light of His Word. And it will help you to set your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He ran the race before us. We take up our cross and we follow Him. But uh, there's many little shiny things the devil will have across our path. I think of Pilgrim's Progress, how many diversions he had along his path to that celestial city. The same thing will face us. And if we're not careful, we'll be swept to the side. We'll be on the sidelines in our Christian race before we know it. And we will not avail because the devil will devour us. He will make us disappear. That's his whole intent purpose. We have a real adversary. And he was encountered, by the way, in Zechariah chapter number 3. The adversary is seen very clearly. Uh, Joshua the high priest with the new garments that he would receive in chapter 3. Go back and read that. I won't do it for the sake of time here. But we do have a very real enemy that wants to stop all that God's doing in our life. And it's only the person of faith 
that will be able to labor amid discouragements of every kind. We trust no other power but the power on high from God if we are to see true spiritual success. And God will uphold us. He will prosper us according to His definition of prosperity. And that is assured by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that empowers us to serve Him. It's been that way since Jesus Christ promised it, and it hasn't changed yet. He hasn't changed His program. And the Holy Spirit will still work and minister even after we as believers in the church today are raptured out. His Spirit will still have a ministry on this earth, though it will be different. He will, he will uh, then begin to empower His people like He did in the Old Testament times by coming on them and endowing them with power. But today we live in a special time because as servants of God, we don't have to wait for the power of the Spirit to come upon us, if we're saved, we have the Spirit living in us, always with us, never leaving us nor forsaking us. And so we don't have to wonder, if I wake up in the morning, will the Spirit be departed from me like old Samson of old? He wished not that the Lord was, was not with him. We don't have that concern today, but we do need to be concerned about quenching him about drowning his still small voice out in our life where we can't hear his leading. We come to the fifth vision in the book of Zechariah, the golden lampstand and the two olive trees. And there's so much here. I, I, I want to stay on task for our message, but I'll tell you, there is so much that we can learn from this fifth vision. Zechariah basically is woken up and he sees a golden lampstand. There are seven lights on the top. This would be a menorah. And this would be uh, descriptive of what was in the tabernacle, to give light to the tabernacle. And uh, this goes down through uh, verse number 14. Really, all of chapter 4 shows us this vision with the seven lights. The lampstand would be a symbol of God's people. Here in this day, it would be Israel. And uh, so you have God's people, and they are to be holding high His light to the world. There was a lampstand in the tabernacle in the days of Moses, and there were ten lampstands in the temple of Solomon. In the rebuilt temple of Zechariah's day, there will be only one lampstand in the refurbished temple. Zechariah, he sees that the lampstand, it needs fuel. And what fuels this lamp is oil from two olive trees one on each side of this lampstand. God is supplying power without the help either of priest or manufacturer. He is giving power for this light. Zechariah is, in, is to encourage Zerubbabel. Don't stop what you're doing for God. Continue the work. In light of all the discouragement you face, when you look around you, you see the circumstances are like a mountain staring you in the face. And you wonder, will I ever get to the ascent? Will I ever climb to the peak? Will we ever get over this huge hurdle? And Zechariah's charge from the Lord here is to go to Zerubbabel and say, don't stop serving. Don't stop building. You keep doing what God's told, taught you, told you to do, and God will be with you. And so he needs to complete the rebuilding of the temple. He began that several years prior to this. And the work has fallen by the wayside because of the discouragement, the challenges that they faced upon their return. 
And so if he's going to continue this work, Zechariah's message is to him, you're not going to be able to do this without the help of God. You're not going to do it in your own strength, Zerubbabel. It will not be by strength. It will not be by might. But by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so the two trees, they're symbols. You have Joshua, the high priest, on one hand, and you have Zerubbabel, the governor, on the other. And God will use these two to raise up a witness to him. Priest and king together laboring in their various respective offices serving God. Because the goal is to get his light out to the world. And so these are the two who are anointed. And together they're a sign of the Messiah. They are a picture of the coming one who will be anointed not just as priest and king, but prophet, priest, and king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. And they picture forward the day when God's anointed one would come. They're a sign of Messiah. And he will one day be introduced as the supreme priest king. So that's a little bit of a synopsis, a background. We need to understand, before we get to chapter 4 in Zechariah, as I mentioned, there were great, great difficulties that God's people faced as they returned to rebuild the work of God. Prior to this, Israel had many years of prosperity, but they went astray from God. And just like God promised would come, they wound up in judgment, first by Assyria in the north, taking the northern ten tribes captive, and then in the southern kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar came with Babylon and took Judah and Benjamin captive. For 70 years, according to the prophecy of Daniel, we're still waiting on that 70th week's fulfillment, by the way, but they were, they were in captivity up to the allotted time. And Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before this man would come to the throne, a man that is named in Scripture, one of the few people that the prophecy is named specifically of this man, and I believe Daniel was able to turn to the scrolls of Isaiah and show this, this ruler, show this king that his name was prophesied. And moved by God, this pagan king who acknowledged the Most High God, the God of heaven, as the Persians would call it, King Cyrus by name would order a decree that God's people would be able to return from Babylon, from between the rivers of the Euphrates and the Tigris over in the, over in the region of, of, uh, of the Middle East, they would be able to return from there and make the journey along that crescent down back to Jerusalem that had been wasted all those decades before. And as they come back, the altar is torn down, the temple is broken, there is nowhere to worship God, the homes are all destroyed, the city lays in ruins, and foreigners have come in and taken over the area. But Zerubbabel has a decree, and Ezra will return and Zerubbabel will return, and the first task they set their hand to when they come back. You read the book of Ezra, you find out when they came back with just a remnant. You talk about probably millions of Jewish people, a couple million Jewish people in Persia at the time of their return. Maybe we can count 49,000, 50,000 of them that actually came back. A remnant will come back to Jerusalem, and the very first task at hand, what do they do? They begin to rebuild the altar. That was broken down because they they must worship Jehovah. They must worship their God. 
And so as they're building the altar, they get so far along and they dedicate it. And we read in the account of the, uh, the elderly people that are there weeping because they remember something was different about the old temple. Solomon's temple had something different about it. The glory of God was there in a powerful, powerful way. But something happened when Israel went astray from God. Ezekiel puts this piece together for us. That the Spirit of God, the presence of God, if you will, the Shekinah glory of God, left and departed before Jerusalem was destroyed and they were taken captive. You see, that's what made the temple special. It wasn't the bricks. It wasn't uh, all the beauty of the structures. It was the fact that that's where the God of the universe dwelt with mankind. Right now, in the temple. And His presence was seen by all who would come. And that presence departed from between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant in the holy place and waited at the courtyard of the tabernacle. And then chapters later, Ezekiel tells us that it went from the courtyard up to the, the wall of the city. From the wall of the city up to the Mount of Olives. And then from the Mount of Olives, it would descend, it would ascend up into the clouds and leave. And it will be gone. The presence of God will be gone from this earth until, until, many, 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 many years later, an angel will show up in the reconstructed temple, another Zechariah, Zechariah, not Zechariah, will come in his priestly function, and he will begin to fulfill his priestly duties. But this day is going to be different, because there's going to be an angel that meets him by the altar. And it's going to give him a prophecy about a son that he and his barren wife in their elderly years will have, and that they're named him John. Why? Because he is who Malachi prophesied would come to prepare the way to the Messiah, God's anointed lamb. We know the rest of the Christmas story. Mary would bring forth a son, her firstborn, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and lay him in a manger. And they were told, he shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You see, it will, it will not be until Jesus is born, incarnate of a virgin, that the glory of God, the presence of God, will once again dwell with man. Now you understand why they were weeping. Because the presence, the glory of God, had departed from that place, and it was not here in Zerubbabel's temple. And they wept because of that. Zerubbabel has many challenges. And they will begin to rebuild this altar as they return to rebuild Jerusalem, but they're going to get discouraged in the way. And God will have to raise up two prophets in particular, Haggai and and Zechariah. And Haggai is going to be, uh, I, I like the way old J. Vernon McGee described him. You know, Haggai had his feet on the ground and Zechariah had his head in the cloud, his head in the clouds. Yeah, that's how he put it. That's a good way to describe it because you study Zechariah and it's full of visions, you know, vision of this, a vision of that, a vision of this. And Haggai is just a practical man. He comes and says, we got to get to work and we need to strengthen our hands for the labor. And he brings a rebuking message to them. Look, you, you're, you're, dwelling in all of these houses with all of these fine furnishings and the house of God lies waste. What are we waiting for? Let's get back to work. This has a very practical message. Zechariah, however, is going to give us the visions, the prophecies that the Lord will reveal to him. And as we approach chapter number four, I want you to notice first off this morning, the revelation given to Zechariah. This will take uh, verses one through three. We will consider that just briefly here with the time that remains. And then the second 
aspect, if we can make it that far this morning, after the revelation of the vision, is the illumination of the vision. Revelation and illumination. And I use those two terms because that's exactly how God works today in our heart and life. He has revealed himself through his word, but the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he know them. Why? Because he doesn't have the Spirit to what? Illuminate the truth of God's Word. And so, as we read in our Scripture passage, Zechariah is confronted with this vision, and he says, what does all this mean? And then, God gave him illumination about the vision. So, join me in considering, first off, the revelation of this vision as it's revealed to Zechariah. Verse number one, the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. So the prophet here seems to be in the condition that Daniel was when he was by the banks of Uli. Gabriel was sent to Daniel to make known to him what should be in the end, the last times of the indignation. Turn over to Daniel chapter number five. Daniel chapter number five. And let's read verse um, 15. Daniel chapter number 5 and verse number 15. Oh, that's wrong chapter. Daniel 8. Daniel 5 is a good one too, but we want to go to Daniel 8. Daniel 8, chapter 8, verse number 15. Here we go. That's, that's what I'm looking for. And it came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision... And sought for the meaning. Then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Eli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at, that, at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright. And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation, for at the time appointed the end shall be. You see, God revealed great things to Daniel that his people must go through. Israel will pass through the time of Jacob's trouble, and in the end there will be a time like it's never been on this earth as he continues to purge this old world through his wrath and his judgment. And that 70th week of Daniel still lies in the future for Israel. They must go through that time of purging. If you look at chapter 10 of Daniel, we read these verses in, uh, in verses 8 through 10, just reading along here. It says, And behold, and hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. When he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. I stood trembling. What a visit Daniel would receive. So you can understand a little bit of Zechariah's concern when he, he's wakened out of sleep. Uh, this is how it felt probably for the past couple of uh, days here as I've traveled. It took me about 36 straight hours to travel back from where I was. Uh, and I gained a day somewhere along the line. And then I lost an hour this morning. And you're catching up with me, but uh, you got a long ways to go because I'm still uh, in jet lag very, very much. Uh, my 
my circadian rhythms are just non-existent right now. I don't know which way it's up. Is it daytime? Okay, the sun's out. Yeah, it must be. All right, that's good enough for me. And so you can understand that Zechariah is awakened from sleep, maybe uh, this, this, uh, this place of in-between sleep and waking, and he has this vision given to him. I think I would be concerned too, wouldn't you? What is going on? What is about to happen? I'm seeing this. And I'm asked to describe what I'm seeing. I have this vision. Now, let me just remind you that there is a difference in the scriptures between dreams and visions. A vision is something that is seen with cognizance and sobriety, fully waking sight. A dream is something that you know Joseph would have, or he would interpret. Excuse what Joseph had his dreams of the sheaves. Pharaoh would have his dreams of the, the cows, and then the butler and the baker. Those are dreams, and uh, we need to be able to discern the difference and pay attention. Don't confuse a vision with a dream. It's not because Zechariah ate pizza too late the night before, and now he's seeing these weird things in his sleep. No, this is a vision. He is fully aware and cognizant of what he is beholding. I want you to turn over to the New Testament and see another illustration of, um, of this. In Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter number 9, I see a similar description of uh, this state of in-between when Zechariah is going to be waking and seeing the vision. And in Luke chapter number 9, I'll just read verse 32. We know when Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, he was transfigured before their eyes. Notice Luke's description in detail, vivid detail. He says, of that occurrence in the Mount of Transfiguration with our Savior, the inner circle, Peter, James, and John were there. Watch Luke's words in verse 32. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were, what's the next word? Awake. Not when they were dreaming. <laughs> when they were awake. They saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. When the Lord wakes you up, in the night, there's no mistaking it. Ha I've had times where I've been in deep, deep sleep, and then for whatever reason, it's like the Spirit stirs me and I wake up. I'm not in a state of slumber. I'm fully awake and aware of what's going on around me. It's in some of those times where I've had the most sweet communion with my Lord, and I can't explain it. I, I can't describe for you the intimacy that's there, but I just begin to commune with Him and to talk with Him and to share my heart with Him and meditate upon his word. It was one of those instances where I surrendered to uh, to preach the gospel to them, having some room filled. These are, these are powerful, powerful moments when you know the Lord is with you. Now, I didn't hear any audible voice from heaven like they did at the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration. I didn't see Moses and Elijah. I didn't see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ transfigured. Not, not any of that, but I knew God was there. I knew the Lord was with me. And I was not dreaming. I was fully awake. So Zechariah wakes, and what does he behold? First he sees, back in our passage, the golden candlestick. What seest thou, he's asked. And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl on top of it to be hence the describer. In this uh, original design, it was designated to light the holy place of the tabernacle. We mentioned that 
And if you were with me through my study of the tabernacle, I showed you some pictures of the golden lampstand that I saw when I was there uh, in the model of the of the tabernacle in the wilderness. And you can see the lampstands. Now, uh, this would be lamps, and they would have pipes to them, and you would keep feeding that oil to it. But the oil was supplied, and the oil never ran out. This was miraculous provision of God uh, that the Lord did. If you read it, uh, Exodus chapter 25, if you're taking notes, jot down verses 31 to 38. I won't read it for sake of time, but that's where you get the description that Moses was given to, uh, to construct the golden lampstand. It ever was to be the symbol of the light of God, the perfection of testimony. That was the purpose. The testimony in the power of the Holy Spirit on earth, first in Israel and now today in the church. You see, the Spirit of God is what supplies the oil for that lamp. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning, burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. You have the oil of the Holy Spirit burning in your lamp, being a light to a lost and dying world. You see, we as the disciples of Jesus Christ today bear His light in a, in a lost and dying world, just as Israel once was commissioned to do, in a come and see the power and glory of the Lord. Now it's a go and tell to the ends of the earth. Take the gospel. And God works through His church today. Remember, Jesus said when we studied in the Sermon on the Mount, He gave His disciples these words, of, You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so, like Israel of old failed to be that witness, so I see many ways the church today is failing to be the salt and light that they need to be. And the state of our society demonstrates that many have grown cold to God. They've grown cold to His power. You saw many, 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 many hungry souls in the Philippines. In some places, it is a third world country still. Some of those streets I walked through, you wouldn't even dare to set foot in because it's, it, it, it's a bad, bad situation. Homes displaced, families displaced because of a volcanic eruption. And the government says, here, you can come squat on this land. And they're called squatter areas. And uh, they get the people get smart and they begin to build brick structures so that they can't be displaced very easily. If the government were to come, all the government has to do is say, okay, it's time for you to go on. And they don't have anywhere to be. But there's a whole community there. Many of them are lost. They need Christ. Many of them could care less, just like here. But there were so many that were hungry. So many that were hungry. Maybe we've let our complacency get to us. Maybe we've taken opening up our faucet and turning on the light switch for granted more than we should. That's one thing that I personally learned this morning. Thank you, Lord. I'm glad to be back in the good old U.S. of A. In many, many ways. But let us not fail the Lord in letting our light shine. John talks about candlesticks as well. He says, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in thy right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. What are these, John the Revelator? The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. 
So do you see where God operates today? It's no longer in Israel in the light of the candlestick. Where is his candlestick today? What Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Where does God dwell today? He doesn't dwell between the cherubims on top of the ark. He dwells where two or three are gathered together in the name of the Lord. So is he in the midst. Are we letting the glory of God be seen in and through us? The Lord Jesus Christ is our high priest. Joshua, the high priest, would picture him. The church is a light in a dark world. And so as Zerubbabel would be given a plumb line, pastors today, the angels of those churches, the messengers of God's lampstands, pastors today who are not faithful to ensure that the building is going up properly, they are leaving God's work in disarray because they're not measuring with the standard of the plumb line and building according to the instructions given in these blueprints as to what a New Testament church should look like. Churches are coming out all crooked because they're building carelessly. They build after their own lusts and their own desires. They get, they get things out of proportion and they get the cart before the horse. And You know it as well as I do. We can share testimonies about how we've been hurt by what was supposed to be a true and upright church presenting the holiness of God and living in, in accordance to what this book says, but sadly. So the question becomes, how do we measure up? Are we making sure that we stay faithful to the plumb line? We measure truth, that the Lord can be pleased, that he can continue to give his spirit and power. And so how are we going to do that if we fail to rightly divide the word of truth? How are we going to do that if we constantly move the line of compromise and say, well, we want to try to reach people, so we'll move the line here and we'll lessen our standards. And Well, okay, they're meeting us here, but it's not good enough. We still want to reach more, so let's move the line here and let's keep compromising. How are we going to stay true if we keep wandering and if we fail to rightly divide the word of truth? There's the golden lampstand. Are we functioning in that way today? And then there's the two olive trees. I mentioned interpretation of Zechariah says that this is Joshua and Zerubbabel. And we understand what God is doing in and through the people that return. But the two olive trees, automatically, my mind goes to Romans chapter number 9. And again, talking today about how God uses the church. Israel was broken off. And a new branch was grafted in. Who is that? That's you and I. Believers. To provoke Israel to jealousy. Come to their Messiah to receive Christ, the anointed one of God. So the ultimate fulfillment that Zechariah is given here will come in the king and priest of our Savior. When he comes again to rule and reign on this earth. I would also draw your attention to the book of Revelation again in chapter number 11. Because I believe that one day when the church is raptured out of here, God's Modus operandi will return through Israel, and you will have these two witnesses that stand up in the middle of the tribulation. And I see maybe a forward-pointing uh, encouragement to consider what God is going to do when he witnesses yet again to, to this world through his two witnesses. You see, Joshua and Zerubbabel were his witnesses in this day. The church is his witness in this day, in our day. 
And in the coming day, he will have his two prophets that will stand in Jerusalem, along with 144,000 missionaries, like unto the Apostle Paul, that will turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ in the time of the tribulation. But these two witnesses, the two olive trees. So we see the revelation, but we can't stop there. We must consider the illumination. Zechariah is confronted with these visions and he's asked, you know, what, what are these things? He says, what are they? <laughs> I don't know what they are. In chapter 4, and he says, what are these, my Lord? The angel that talked with me answered and said to me, I'm glad Zechariah wasn't left scratching his head going, man, I'm going to have to figure this out. I don't know what these things are. I'm going to have to crack my scrolls open. I'm going to have to go check with some other prophets. I'm going to have to go compare this and compare that. I'm thankful that the Lord just said, here's the answer. You see, when I'm studying the Word of God, I come to things. I was encountered uh, with a question when I was on this uh, trip that I had to do some extra digging, but I'm thankful that before the night was over, God had shared with me in His Word. Uh, and I was able to share with this other pastor that had a very good question. I was on the right track. I just needed to verify it in the heart and mind. You see, God gives us the answer. He illuminates His Word. If we'll pray and seek Him and humble ourselves before Him, he will give us light. You see, this is an underlying principle. If you receive the light he gives, he will continue to give more light to you. But if you reject the light, you will continue to wander away from him in darkness. Like Daniel, in chapter 12, verse 8 of Daniel, he says, And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? I'm thankful Daniel didn't stop asking. Seeking. Knocking. And we do the same. Like the disciples in Matthew 13, verse 36, Jesus sent the multitude away. He went to the house. This is the parable of the sower, mind you, Matthew 13. And uh, his disciples came unto him saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Well, what does this mean, Lord? I'm thankful that the, you know, Jesus didn't send them away and say, go figure it out. No, he sat down with them. He says, you don't understand? Let me help you. So anytime you're challenged with something in the Word of God that you maybe don't understand at that moment, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, He will illuminate the truth of God's Word to you, just like He did for Zechariah, like John the Revelator. Uh, he was asked, you know, in chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto them, I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation. See, John was asked, what are these things? And John said, I don't know, but you do. <laughs> Lord, I don't know, but you do. And my immediate answer to that pastor when he asked me that question from the book of Acts uh, concerning an apparent discrepancy uh, was, well, I know the discrepancy, there's no, um, there's no contradiction in the Bible. It's only my understanding. I need to make sure that I'm on the right track with this, and I'll get, I'll get back to you once I have confirmation. And I was able to do that. And, uh, and there is no contradiction in the Word of God. It's only with my understanding. You see, we don't stand in judgment of this book. This book judges us. And any, any frailty is not on the part of the Bible. It's on my part. And if I will pray and seek the Lord, He will unlock, He will open, He will illuminate and open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things. Notice it is the Word and the Spirit of God. Verse 4 in our passage, it says, So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, What is this 
Okay, here's the answer. He says, this is what? The word of the Lord. And it's unto Zerubbabel. So here you have, you have this presentation of the word and the spirit working together to demonstrate to Zerubbabel, keep going. Keep doing the work God's called you to do. As we look at the word might here, not by might, not by power, nor by power, but by my spirit, say the Lord. So you have the word, the spirit, the, the kind of might that's being talked about here is military might. What people might do together, the remnant army, maybe a militia that Zerubbabel could raise up, and the strength, no doubt, waning with all of the circumstances that they faced. Don't be discouraged. This was the prophet's message. And that's my message to you this morning. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. If we're going to see God do anything in Broomfield, anything in our surrounding area, anything in Boulder when this next church plant comes up, anything in this area and in our state, if we're going to see anything happen, it's going to be because the Spirit of God makes it happen through His vessels, through His people. Don't be discouraged. You have the plumb line. Stay true to this. Rightly divide it. Hold your head up high and know that while you might not make a difference to everyone, you can make a difference to one. And if you will stand true and trust God, you'll be amazed to see what His Spirit can do in and through His surrendered vessels. The Word of God is how the will of God gets accomplished by the Spirit of God, all working together in harmony. And then this points us to the works of the Son of God. Who art thou, O great mountain? Verse number uh, verse number 7. Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. When, when the odds seem against us, and it is an insurmountable mountain, we can stand before it with the faith of a grain of mustard and seed and say, Be thou cast into the midst of the sea, and it shall be so. See, that's the power of Jesus working in and through his people. What a privilege to be used with God. With men, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Let's not be discouraged. There are ways that we can attempt to do the work of God. We can trust in our own strength, in our own might, in our own wisdom. We can borrow from the resources of the world, or we can depend on the power of God. And I don't know about you, but that's my dependence. And it has been from day one. And let me not be pulled astray from that. Let me not be set aside. Let me continue to trust the power of the Word of God. And one day we'll sing with the angels above and rejoice for all that came in Christ through our witness, through the light that we share, being vessels of Him, being used of Him. And so what mountains are you facing today? Much like Zerubbabel faced. Let me encourage you. God's not done. Whatever that mountain is, maybe you would say, Lord, you don't have to move it. Just help me climb it. That'd be okay too. Whatever that mountain is, I'm here to tell you the Lord can give you strength through His Spirit. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus has saved you? If so, then don't be discouraged. Let His Spirit revive you. Revive the work of your hands. And know that you don't have to trust in chariots. You don't have to trust in the strength of, of the things that we see around us. 
you just become a channel of blessing and humbly serve God and let his oil flow through you. And just say, Lord, make me a blessing. Make me a blessing. To somebody, someone today, and one by one, while we might not change the tidal wave of the direction of the society around us, we can, one by one, pull somebody else out of the fire. We can, one by one, make a difference to someone having compassion. And that will be all the difference of eternity for them. Won't you humble yourself and continue to stay close to God, living in the power of His Word?